Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the uh, Quant Financial Engineering Podcast. I have a treat, another treat um, today. Uh, I'll be speaking with uh, Garrett DeSimone, who's the head of Quant Research at uh, Option Metrics. Um, the word is in there, option, so you know we're going to be talking options. Uh, but uh, no further ado, let me uh, let's have uh, Garrett introduce himself and uh, what is it that he do at uh, Option Metrics and a little bit of his uh, of his background. Garrett, uh, good morning, Professor Zorro. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, like you mentioned, I am the the head of Quant Research over here at Option Metrics. Uh, and Option Metrics, we're a data and analytics provider. So our main line of products. <clears throat> is exchange-listed options data, dating all the way back to 96 in the US, and we provide that on a nightly basis, along with a series of analytics our um, institutional customers find useful, such as vol surfaces, Greeks, and additional-based uh, option-referred tools that we calculate. Very good. Um, what about a bit of, a, of your background, your educational background, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, I graduated with my PhD from the University of Delaware in 2017, and it was uh, Optometrics was a very natural fit. I've been that was my um, first career out of first role out of grad school, and it was a very natural fit for me because I had done my dissertation using uh, Optometrics data, um, and that is one of our that's one of our kind of our cornerstones of our business. Is we are extre extremely um, we have an ex a very large base in the academic community. So a majority of options-based papers that, you know, when you're using a, a long set of historical data, refer us and require our data to be uh, published in, in reputable journals. But uh, the fit was very natural. I did my dissertation on uh, straddle returns around macroeconomic news with my uh, advisor, Professor Paul Lau over at the University of Delaware. And that transition just, just put me on the track to option metrics. Uh, and I started here as a, uh, the, the, the sole member of the quant team. And, and I'm proud to say we've, we've built up to a team of over four quants and we're uh, working on a completely new set of projects since I started. Um, you know, I, 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 um, I, we should talk about the blog, obviously, um, uh, um, and, um, some of you, your data products. So you guys have an option metrics blog. What is that, that all that, about? Yeah. So that it's, it started as kind of, um, you know, everybody was doing blocks <laughs> a few years ago. And, uh, so it, it seemed like the, it seems like the right idea for us, but, uh, it's, it's usually ideas, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly, about interesting observations we see um, in the options market or in the, the futures options market as well. Um, I should add that, too. We have a futures options product. So if we see something out of the ordinary or something our clients should be aware of, we, we like to point attention to that with a short blog. We also have some more academic-style white papers we like to write about um, enhancing uh, the the recent one we've done is we're take we take a look at the betting against beta factor, which is <clears throat> a little bit of background of that is the the notion that low beta stocks have uh, produced higher alpha than high beta stocks, and this goes against some 
foundational theory based on the CAPM. But what, what we look to do is kind of reinvent that using options data and our uh, new implied beta metric. Ah, okay. So you may, now you're bringing in CAPM into the CAPM into the, <laughs> the discussion. Uh, I was going to talk about uh, you know you you wrote an interesting article in May actually May twenty second on the regional banking sector jitters. Um, so I could see where you're going with these type of um, blogs. I mean you you've got some blogs on that. I mean not you don't you don't write all the blogs, but I see agriculture agricultural futures. Um, growth of Canadian derivatives market and commodities. Um, but let maybe let, let's focus just a little bit on that on that blog because they they are quite interesting, I must say. And then I'll, I'll touch back on on CAPM. So in May twenty in in May of this year, you you were concerned, you got concern on those regional banks. Is that um, the idea here? Yeah, so we had taken a look at um, what the the options market was telling us regarding some of these risks with regional banks, um, and what we had what we had seen too is some very uh, what one of the indicators we look at uh, for downside risk in the options market is the the skew value, and we had seen that for some of these regional banks, not only had we had elevated extremely abnormal volume, but we also had this uh, pricing in of downside skew, which is essentially a measure of <clears throat> uh, what options investors think the crash risk is or how much they're willing to pay for crash risk by buying puts. Um, and it was a very, it was, it was very similar to what you had seen in 2008 with these increasing hedges for the banking sector regarding, uh, you know, are these banks going to fail? And, and we know with regional banks, the, the likelihood of allowing the Fed allowing them to fail is very high compared to compared to something somebody large like Bank of America or you know one of these um, one of these big one of these big banks. So they they um, I forgot when um, when we had the issue the first failure uh, but what did it coincide with this actual volatility or was it was it at the same time? I mean, did did you see? Because when I look at the, you have one of those charts, uh, you know, calls and put purchases, and you could see that it started to go. Well, it did nothing in March, and then in April it started to act a bit. Yeah, you, you have the calls and and the puts, and and you could see there's there's something going on there, starting early March, and I believe everything happened after that this year. I mean, the the banking crisis with the Silicon Valley Bank? Yeah, so what we what we were seeing in the, the options market um, when that crisis originated, we had seen kind of these knock-on effects for smaller banks. So we had seen the, we had seen the failure of SVB and the, um, basically the, the Fed's reaction to it. And what, what the, the effects of that on other banks was now we had investors starting to pour over some of these smaller regional banks that they thought might be susceptible to a failure as well. So this elevated these volumes for these, these much smaller regional banks, which might be exposed to some of the same risks as SVB had been exposed to. And uh, PACW was one of these that investors had become extremely worried about. 
Yeah. Um, and so what are you seeing now? What, 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 what is that telling you now? So we've seen some of the, the, um, the volume subside there. Um, I've always been of the view that this is, uh, not that history exactly repeats itself, but these, these bank failures, they take some time to kind of work their way through the system. And if we think back to 2008, the, the first kind of rumblings of this were back in March of this year, very similar to what we'd experienced now. And we didn't get the full, we didn't understand the full gravity until October. Um, yeah. So right now, the, the extreme volumes that I, I noted in the blog have definitely, definitely subsided. And some of that was also con- um, attributed to this, uh, this speculation behavior by by retail investors, which is a which is a totally totally different thing we can get into. But um, that those those extreme volatility and the extreme price movement has subsided. But I would not be surprised come October we get a new set new set of risks popping up with these regional banks. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that uh, you had a thirty day implied volatility um, calculation. I mean a chart. That shows, you know, around March 10, which is when SVB started going went south. Actually, you see a huge jump, and then it it, it tapers down again around mid-April. But then it goes back up. Curious to see what that what that chart looks like. Uh, you know, yeah, we we also had the First Republic too, which was another kind of shock to the system there. Um, that that also jolted some of the regional banks too. But it it was interesting to to kind of see. It was almost a contagion effect where this this first bank uh fell and then we had investors pour over the risks of these other smaller regional banks and the the it's which was pretty much decided the fed was was not going to step in and bail out these these smaller ones bailed out the depositors though but (laughs) not not the bag itself and then of course we've got uh now we finally have the downgrades um recently um, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That's you know I, I see that as another risk going forward for um, some of these some of these smaller regionals too as we approach the fall. Yeah. Okay. Do you did mention uh, you brought in Capen in in Capen uh, in, in in your discussion and and some factor. How does that how does that how do you work with those? Um, because we've got uh, several projects on uh, asset management and capping and multi-factor modeling how do you how does your firm take that into consideration in whatever you're doing yeah absolutely so <clears throat> when we develop products for our clients we are looking for um the uh, the op- the uh, options approach or the the forward-looking implied approach whatever some some additional information the options market can provide us that some historical information wouldn't be able to so um, the, the traditional measure of data we have is we're looking back at historical returns. Typically, we run a maybe, let's say, a, a year-long regression on daily returns, and we get an estimate of beta. Uh, so what we look to do with our implied version of beta is essentially build in what the options market expectation of uh, systematic risk is. And we do this through some some calculations. Um, there's a uh, paper by Bus and Bilkoff. We base it around. But essentially, what it does is it takes the implied correlations and the implied volatility from the stock and the market to get a forward estimate of vol. So we find that this forward 
uh, estimate, this forward implied beta is a much better predictor of actual realized beta than using the historical look back because we're building in uh, upcoming events that are important for risks such as CPI, earnings, FOMC news. And if you had taken a historical beta, you wouldn't have that forward risk baked into it. You would be looking, you'd have a, you'd have a look back period that wouldn't adjust, wouldn't account for this. So looking at uh, some of your products, uh, which sounds quite interesting, um, you've got um, a database, you've got a graph uh, charting tool. Um, what are these for? So the, the database, which is our flagship product, is directed at institutional investors as well as academics looking to do options-based research. Uh, so our IVDB product, a subscriber to that, would receive a nightly feed with, uh, in the U.S. for all, they'd receive all the option, quote, option quotes on the symbols as well as the implied volatilities. And then we, we also include a what's called a, vol, a standardized vol surface. So a, uh, a user could look at, let's say, a fixed 30-day vol on Apple at 50 delta or the 25 delta vol on GameStop. So um, that is our core product. And then in addition, we have uh, another set of analytical tools built on top of that using, uh, based on our research that... Uh, let's say certain options uh, based measures have predictive power for market returns in the cross section of the time series. So, um, okay. We have a lot to, uh, we don't have that much time, at least for this podcast. Um, that's a, that's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to go through everything <laughs> yeah. today. Uh, we'll, we'll pick, uh, I mean, uh, the fact that you write blogs is interesting because uh I like to feature, uh, you know, your next blog and our next discussion, so you have more time to go into, you know, topic by topic. Um, one thing I wanted to, um, um, I wanted to talk about is the um, options, um, but more importantly, uh, your views on um, long dated, out of the money puts. Uh, those, I mean, the same Taleb is always out there talking about. Um, you know the fat tails and 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 his and his uh, former um, companion uh, Spitz Nagel as well. What 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 is your view on that? I mean, the idea that you know we really can't predict anything in the market, and um, let's 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 uh, look at uh, those uh, those black swans, uh, and they've been quite successful at it. I mean, you're probably aware that Spitz Nagel made a tons of money in 2020 uh at the time of the um of covid i think he he was able to you know i mean two thousand percent some ridiculous amount of uh, of return what do you think about something that is not predictable i mean we talk about the banks and and you could see the, your your signals said something but um long dated options i mean we have we have lots of things happening in the market. Well, not so much in the market, but it could impact the market. You know, you got the weather. We don't know what that's going to do, but obviously it's doing something. Um, we have lots of uncertainty uh, uh, globally. Uh, we have lots of, and then of course we have our downgrade in the US. 
so there's lots of macro events out there that could potentially impact the market in a big way. Are you guys looking at this or you are more geared toward the actual trading, daily trading algorithm and how to take advantage of that? So we we put it this way, if, it, if it's something interesting and our clients are uh, asking us questions about, we, we look to research it further. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a multi multifaceted question you had there. Maybe we'll we'll start with the uh, the tail risk um, hedging. So, in my view, <clears throat> uh, tail risk hedging is extremely difficult uh, to do, especially in the form of puts. And you you can you can take a look at CBOs. Uh, you know they have a put index out there. You can look at the returns on it. Basically, supplementing your portfolio with a protective put is creates a creates a large drag on it. You can see the underperformance against the SPY, even, even when it successfully hedges these downturns. Uh, the reason being is you're you're taking an asset, you're you're paying for a uh, vol premium. So you're paying to hedge vol, but you're also introducing a negative beta asset into your portfolio. And the um, the other issue or the difficulty with tail hedging is we've found and research shows they're incredibly difficult to monetize. So you may be, you may be correct, but unless your timing is very, very good, you, you missed it. You missed the period because it's when you, when you, um, when you're looking at periods like COVID, for example, of extremely, extremely high volatility, the Delta of this hedge can jump around very quickly. So if you're not on top of it, uh, taking profits, then your hedge has already been blown out, for example. So I think the the, the two issues that I, I see with tail hedging are uh, one, you're you're paying this this very large insurance premium. We've seen it's a very large insurance premium to hedge downside risk. And two, even if you're correct, then monetizing it uh, in a timely manner is very, very difficult. And and with the exception of you know, Talib's fund, Talib's tail funds, and a few other ones. We've seen issues with tail hedge funds not performing the way they should have, and this is this is likely due to that um, difficult, difficult in monetization timing. I guess they were lucky. <laughs> they were lucky. They were lucky. Whatever, well, whatever that means. Uh, yeah. Well, you you also you know it's <clears throat> it it could have a place in in a portfolio, but um, the expectation is you're going to sit on average losses most yeah. years no, with no, the exception of you know your your big convex uh payoff correct correct um yeah but i mean he'll tell you also that uh, they they just don't believe in, in the um in the way we're looking at the market i mean he doesn't believe in in, in normal distribution uh, so therefore um it, everything is a waste of time uh, but then again, he's he's out there. He's extreme. I mean, he was maybe lucky at, at, at what he did. Um, he's, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. Anyway, so um, as far as option uh, option metrics is concerned, um, I could see that uh, you're you're you you're basically taking cues from your clients. So and and I see you have you have a blog. So you are a, 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 a a walking, thinking, adapting kind of a firm, and with lots of quants, 
involved. Um, lots of coding involved as well, I'm assuming. Lots of Python on, on your technical side, because I'm always curious for students, you know, what what, what what's out there in terms of opportunities. Um, in terms of coding, um, is um, lots of coding involved? Uh, um, artificial intelligence, chat GPT and things like that? Or is it- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, absolutely. On the, um, on the coding front, our, our research code is done in Python. So um, my clients, they're all very highly trained in Python. And that's how we really explore our production idea or um, our ideas, our research ideas. When it comes to our production level code, um, we do a majority of that in C++. And we have a uh, we have an entire quant dev team that's dedicated to that. So their their expert their expertise is more in the we do the research portion and they do the um, implementation in C So uh, it's it's absolutely necessary working here to have a background in Python, um, but also the uh, the machine learning aspect where we're beginning to slowly dip our toes into it. Uh, the, the key for us is when exploring these hot topics like machine learning is can we can we build a can we build a product off of it that gives our clients value but they also understand trust too um, because with the traditional product like black you know our options data it's built off of black shoals and trees which are very well understood uh, some of these black box machine learning algorithms might be a might be a tougher sell some of these clients if they don't fully understand or we don't fully explain the mechanics of it to them yeah that's that's the thing that we see on our projects when working with the sponsors is that you, what you need to be able to explain it to someone as well um and 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 machine learning um tends to be a, a black box i mean we're, we're doing some work on interpretability and supervised and unsupervised but still um, there's a need to explain um, more, now more now more than ever. So um, anyway, Garrett, I wanted to thank you because this was a a, a great uh, you know shooting of the breeze type of um, podcast for now. So we, we we get introduced a little bit to you and to the option metrics, and and we would love to have you back, um, especially if you write one of those um, um, blogs. Uh, or maybe we come back at some point to talk specifically about uh, one of your blogs as well. Yeah, absolutely. This this has been great. Thanks, Professor Zorro. Thanks, Garrett. Have a good Thank one. You. Okay.